Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. We're different people, they're different dogs, they're different methods, but at the end of the day, almost every step and the goal for every step is similar. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you could need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, welcome back to another week of GDIY. Me and Adam are here to finish up the uh, Force Fetch series. We're coming at you with part two and talking about the individual steps that that both of us took. And uh, you'll notice that there's a lot of similarities as as well as a few differences. And you'll notice uh, about halfway through, we went to blows over this thing. (laughs) No, not really. Uh, Things are similar. Our theories are the same, but our steps are different. So as you follow along during this episode, you may have to listen to it. You know, if you're going to try to use it to guide yourself through force fetch, you may have to go at it twice and uh, not force fetch twice, but listen to the episode twice once to kind of get an overview and then maybe go back and take notes. Nick and I talked a lot about it and uh, debated on whether or not it would be confusing where we're talking about both methods. And we concluded that it would be okay, uh, but just understand that there's, there's two different methods, but the theories are the same. And we kind of touched on that last week on the overview is, is while all the force fetch programs, the successful ones have, have the same purpose and a lot of similarities, the, the nuance of each person's individual steps are going to be a little different. While me and you, our programs are probably, I don't know, 75, 80%. Yeah, I think so. You know, the same, there's a, there's a few differences. I mean, notably you, you bring in the e-collar sooner than I do and, and so on and so forth. And you'll, you guys will hear that a little bit more, but it's just important to to realize there's not just one way of doing this. And by no means are we saying that you're going to listen to this and be able to walk out in your backyard and start knocking out the training yourself. But it, it kind of gives you a good idea 
And remember, focus on the the why instead of the how through all this, because while we're talking about individual steps and how we did it, the the important part is still the why and and the consistency of the steps and starting off with your confidence booster and then moving through onto what you're really working on at whichever stage you're at. Yeah, so we we talked about it in last week's episode in the overview some of the reasons to do force fetch and just to kind of recap that stuff, you know, you come out with uh, a better understanding, number one, a a better bond with your dog and then a a better understanding of how your dog learns. And we've talked to a bunch of people in the past couple weeks about force fetch and they all say that they've learned about themselves just as much as they've learned about their dog. So whatever method you end up uh, using, you know, if it's a method that's aside from what we talk about during this episode, I think you'll learn a lot about yourself. Right. And, and we got a lot of great feedback on last week's episode. A a lot of people that were appreciative of the information we put out as well as a few questions. And, And one of the common ones that we didn't touch on, we actually talked about it afterwards, knowing that we kind of left it off, but we got a few questions as far as how old the dog should be start doing force fetch. And uh, my my response to them is, I say just as a general rule of thumb, especially with versatile dogs, you can't really go wrong with around a year old. I know other people, I know the drop guys tend to do it sooner. The retriever guys tend to do it sooner. They're, they're kind of the mind once the puppy teeth are out that they'll knock it out. So sometimes they're going as early as six or seven months, but it really depends on the maturity of the dog. Uh, obviously you need the physical maturity as far as the puppy teeth and everything being out, but just, just the mentality of your dog and you know, your dog better than anybody else. So we've seen some dogs that just, they're not mature enough, even at a year and a half old. So it, it really determines how the dog is acting. If you just be honest with yourself, is the dog ready for, for something as regimented and consistent as this? And uh, like I said, just for a general rule of thumb around a year old is most dogs, I think, fall into that time frame. Yeah, you got to make sure you're not taking your your kindergarten student to a college. Right. So it's <laughs> it's a little bit uh, it's not necessarily college. It, you know, it's it's a little bit regimented training um, and they do need to be physically old enough, like you were saying. But mentally, they've got to be able to handle it. And their temperament has a lot to do with that. So. I agree that a year is probably a good estimate, but if you've got a year old dog that you raise your voice at and it and it cowers down, I mean, maybe, maybe you hold off a while. Maybe you hold off a while, and then that'll tell you the amount of pressure you're going to put on your dog too. And and we talk about that that even even though it's called force fetch, you're really not putting a lot of force or pressure on the dog, and and that's what scares a lot of people away from doing force fetch. Um, but knowing your dog and how much pressure they need to be, to be trained is, is very important when you go about this process. Right. So yeah, that, that was really the main question I was getting back from people that I, that we probably could have touched on, on the overview. Yeah. But, and you just can't say, you can't no. say one year. Yeah. Um, but yeah. We'll use a year as a, as a relative guideline, but you know, I'd like to think that someone is not out there listening and goes, oh, okay, when my dog turns a year old, I'm going for it. Right. Because they might be old enough and mature enough and they might not be. Yeah. So, 
So yeah, that's uh, that was really the the most consistent question we got, and we got a lot of good feedback off that episode last week. and And be sure to let us know what you think about this week's episode. Tell us, you know, if you have questions, if you have suggestions for us. Again, we're here learning just like everybody else, so we're always open to to other viewpoints. So be sure to shoot us an email, gundogityourself at gmail we do have a GDIY profile this week coming up with somebody that actually just finished uh, or really close to finishing. Uh, they're not done 100%, but pretty much wrapping a few it up. things to polish up. Uh, yeah. Their first time through Force Fetch. So you'll yep. kind of get somebody that just went through it for the first time and uh, some of the lessons he learned. And similar for everybody, really. Uh, the stories once you get through it and – yeah. Do you have anything else to touch on well, before I know we get to it? We've put this disclaimer out a couple times just in general, uh, but specifically when you start talking about force fetch. And I know we said this on the overview, and I think we say it again during the episode. We're not claiming to be experts on force fetch. Uh, we still have a lot to learn. And I know I learned just doing the episode and hearing some of your methods. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take that little tidbit and, and use it next time I force fetch a dog. So yeah. uh, we're not we're not experts. We still have a lot to learn. Uh, we just want to share as always share our success and share our failures. Yep. Absolutely. So with that being said, remember subscribe, hit that subscribe button on the, uh, on your podcast feed that helps us out a lot. Remember to rate review, share it, check out our website uh, at gundogityourself.com. Check out our partners links, Gunner, Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong and the other affiliate links. And yeah, Without anything else, let's get to it. Enjoy. Let us know what you think. See you next week. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? You train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field of prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. All right, we're back to follow up on last week's episode for the Force Fetch Overview. This week, we're actually going to get into more of the details and the steps and the how-tos of everything that uh, me and Adam went through on our program. But if you have not listened to the overview from last week, I highly encourage you to go listen to that because it's going to give you a lot more input and context as to why what we consider is important before you even start the program. Absolutely. We'll get into all the nitty gritty this week. I've got my gloves on. I'm ready to debate with you, Nick. <laughs> well, and again, it's sad that we have to say this, but uh, it's dog training. Everybody has a different method. We're not professionals. This is just how we did it. We said it again last week. We know there's going to be certain certain steps in this that somebody may or may not agree with or disagree with or see it's pointless. It's okay. You have your way. This is just our way, and we're just trying to kind of give everybody a, a guiding light through all this, but by no means is this set in stone in the exact perfect way that you should be doing this. And you and I do things very similar, but we do things a little bit different too. I'm sure as we talk through this, we'll come, I mean, 
hopefully I learned something as we're talking. Maybe you learned something too uh, from each other as we go through this. But sure, there's people out there that are going to say, absolutely not. You've got to do it this way. Well, it's like the analogy of a recipe to, to cook something. Everyone's got their own recipe. This is just, we're sharing our recipes with you and you can modify it. You know, that's kind of what you do when you cook something is you, you make it your own after a while and you add a little extra salt or Cajun seasoning or whatever. And it's proud of of home cooking. That's right. Everybody likes stuff cooked a different way. So with that being said, we're going to kind of go through all the different steps that I've, I go through when I do this program. And my, my method is I came up with about 15 steps and, uh, really the first step I, I didn't even include in that number it's uh everybody kind of does it at a different time in a different way but really the first step is just getting the dog up on the table and getting used to the table getting them enthusiastic and comfortable on the table before you even really start the training program per se yeah i agree with that i think a lot of programs and even in my notes i'm, I'm looking through my journal right now because i'm a nerd and i keep notes of all my <laughs> training stuff um you know i've got step one listed as a gloved hand in the dog's mouth. But really, when you think about it, that's not the step one that I took. When my dog was eight or 10 weeks old, I was going out to the the chapter, the NAVDA chapter, and they had a training table. I would just get him up on the table and let him learn. This is a cool place. You get a couple pieces of kibble up here. So later when the dog's older and you're actually ready to get into the the real force fetch program, the dog's not like overwhelmed with I'm on this table. I've never been on this table before. And you're putting something in my mouth that I don't want to have in here. So I totally agree that it's important to get the dog used to getting up on the table or whatever it is that you're going to use. No pressure at all. Make the table a fun place, feed them, praise them, let them walk up and down the table, let them have a good time. Just acclimate them to the environment. Some people I've seen do it as, as young as, I mean, a few weeks old puppy. I I know even the uh, Rick and Ronnie Smith DVD that they put out and a lot of people watch, they, uh, they make it a point of like six, eight week old puppy. Just get them up on the table, get them used to the table. I'm not saying go that far. Honestly, I just took a few days before I started and kind of got Lucy up or or any of the other dogs that I've helped with. Just get them up and just make them realize that, hey, it's it's fine. It's a good time, and we're going to be knocking out some work, so just get used to it. I think some of the guys saw me putting my dog up on the table at 10 weeks old, and when they're a puppy and still doing a three times a day feeding, take advantage of that midday feeding while you're out there training and – put your puppy up there and, and feed him up on the table. Some guys probably think, well, that's not necessary. Probably, probably not necessary. But my question is, what does it hurt to get the right. dog up on the table? You're not, again, you're not putting any pressure on him, So right. there's no risk. So that's really the first step. Uh, but we just didn't include that in the overall numbered steps, I guess. But uh, so after you get them used to it and you're ready to start, the first thing that we're working on is hold with the dog. And uh, a quick quick side note on this, a lot of people, they'll say there's no point in teaching hold separate as fetch. And there's a few justifications or reasons why we side with the with the thought that you should teach hold as, as a separate thing and you start off with hold. And, and first off, the way I look at it, hold is the entire foundation of this program. 
if you don't start off with hold and have that as your first building block, you're going to be banging your head against the wall. And then you get into a situation where you are applying a lot more pressure or force later on in this when you're going on fetch and everything. So there are some people that don't even start with hold, but we do. I think some of the differences are a lot of people do the hold thing, but they either don't use any command or they just go ahead and use the fetch command instead of hold. So they're going through the process of putting something, putting a, a gloved hand with two fingers in the dog's mouth but they're not saying a command or they're not saying hold. I just started off using the fetch command. So to, to caveat this thing real quick, I've gone back and forth on whether or not I want to use the hold command next time or just continue to go straight into fetch. I think the one benefit I think of is if later on when your dog's finished with this, if you see that they're about to spit a bird out, you can command hold a hundred percent and it makes a lot of sense yeah and also i was a lot before i really started helping with force fetch and doing my own dog i was back and forth i was saying why would i teach hold a separate fetch as a command and and that's just part of the command and expectation and then finally one dude it was actually at, at a test that i was running with lucy one guy finally gave me a reason in the field to do it that way and he said that he's seen dogs say Say you have multiple down birds, they go out, they're retrieving the first bird, they're about to drop it or they're crunching it or or mouthing it or whatever, and you only have fetch as a command in in your arsenal, and you say that, he's seen dogs actually drop that bird and go for the second one, and then they lose that first bird. Yeah. Uh, So That makes sense. Yeah. And there's... So I was the same way. I'm like, why would I want to use one word and then have to switch the word later? That makes sense. But then where it made even more sense for me to teach maybe hold, like teach the command hold next time is you and I were doing duck search one day and Mitchell got this duck. I was using a frozen duck at the time and he was running the bank with it. I mean, it was probably 150 yards and he shouldn't have dropped it, but I could tell that he was about to drop it. So yelling fetch at that point wouldn't have made sense. A correction with the e-collar wouldn't have made sense or any type of correction But if I could have just yelled hold, it would have right then and there. Yep. So then, and that's exactly what happened is he dropped it. I said, fetch. He went back out (laughs) looking looking for for another duck to fetch. So So I think next time I'll go with the hold command. I was looking for that for a while and I finally got a a field justification. I mean, is that a scenario you're going to come across a lot? No. But it is a justification, and so in that in my mind, that that's kind of what I'm looking for is why would I do a cert, something a certain way, and that gave it to me. And then, and then another thing with this hold, and you kind of touched on it, um, we don't use any pressure teaching hold. It's you're not ear pinching, you're not toe right. itching, you're not using e collar while teaching the hold command. You're literally putting a gloved hand, two fingers in the dog's mouth. Yeah getting them to get used to it. And you put your thumb underneath their their chin so you can feel when they're about to spit your fingers out. Or and, you feel the tongue just rolling right. or whatever. And you can, number one, it gives you some a way to hold on so that yeah. they can't spit it out. And then you can anticipate they're trying to spit it out. And you can just... You have better control. Give them a little correction like, you know, ah, 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 yep. hold. 
or yep. fetch or whatever you decide to go with. <laughs> and so again, when you with this being the first step, we're going to get on the table. You're keeping it short, and what what Adam just said, you start with a gloved hand. I didn't use a glove, uh, but a lot of people use a glove just because dog's teeth are sharp uh not that they're gonna bite you per se but you know you're doing this a a lot a lot of people just they want to have a glove on fine so you're gonna get the dog up there get them comfortable and then you're gonna start with two fingers and you're just gonna pry the dog's mouth open and just leave the two fingers inside the mouth while saying hold and every time they roll the tongue, every time they try and spit your fingers out, every time they, they try and let go, you just ah, ah, hold, hold, hold. And, and you're, not, you're not just saying hold nonstop. You're really only saying it to when they're trying to spit it out or play with your fingers with their tongue or, or chew on your fingers or something like that. They have to associate the non-desirable action with the actual command. And so you're going to be using the command hold multiple times, but you're not just sitting there. You don't put your hand in their mouth and just hold, 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 give. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Once you say hold and they're doing it, then you can praise them, pet them, let them know they're doing a good job. And as we talk through this, I know we've given some disclaimers already. The other disclaimer is do not take this podcast episode alone and try to go force fetch your dog because there's certain things that you have to see like how to open the dog's mouth open without you know causing them any pain where to put your fingers you know it's right behind the first two teeth so there's things there's there's so much detail into this that this episode's not going to encompass it gives you everything but it gives, it gives you a you, good starting basis but i mean like you it said gives you some reference when you put something in the dog's mouth the the jowls you know, a lot of people yep. don't even notice the jowls. If it gets caught between your hand or another object under underneath their teeth, that that can potentially harm what you're trying to do because they might bite down on their jowls. So make sure that the jowls are out of the way. So just stuff like that is kind of what Adam's talking about, and it's a good note. And then, so yeah, you're you're on the table. You're doing hold. You introduce it with two fingers. And then you're just going to gradually build off of that. You know, once they get used to two fingers and they're not trying to spit it out or roll it out, then you're going to move up to three fingers, four fingers, and then a fist. Uh, You know, some dogs may fly through this to where you can get to the fist in the first session. Other dogs, you might be on two fingers for a couple days. It, it, It really depends on the dog and just if, if they're understanding what you're trying to convey to them. Yeah. So I didn't, go to a fist i went from two fingers once they would hold once he would hold that to a dumbbell style bumper um it's like canvas on the ends and plastic in the middle it's very light very easy for the dog so once they're used to holding the fingers then just went to the dumbbell style bumper yeah see i just i gradually made my hand bigger that way i still had control over the dog each step of the way until they got to a size of something else like yeah. that you're going to use in your in your fun bucket whatever you want to call yeah. it and uh it goes pretty quick though they they figure out uh especially with your hand really quick uh again no pressure you're not jerking the dog's head around and and scolding them real hard it's just you know if you need a correction just a ah, ah, and hold and then every time you're not just taking your hand away from the dog you're starting to give the release command, whether it's release, give, out, whatever you choose. This is 
where you have to start being consistent to where you give the command first and then take your hand out of the dog's mouth. Yep. The bumper that I use for hold, so like my second step, the size of the part that the dog's holding is like the size of your two fingers. It's very right. thin. And then the 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 dumbbell portion of it is yeah. thicker. You know, it's the size of a normal bumper. And then that dog gets used to that, and that can become its go-to bumper maybe yeah. uh, to boost it back up because it's an easy one and it's kind of what yeah. it started with. So as you introduce each step, yeah, you've got that one to, and to so, reach back to. So that's your your first session is you're starting with that, and then you know depending on your dog how many sessions you need for hold, that's that's up to you and how the dog's coming. But every time you start a new session, you should be backing up like we talked about last week and doing a confidence builder. Uh, if there was an object, say it does really good on the two fingers, but then doesn't do good with the object or a fist or whatever, start with the two fingers and then go back up. And then as you progress through your objects, cause you're going to start passing through all your objects, dumbbell, bones, softball, baseball, logs, whatever. Again, don't just immediately start with the object that was hardest for him on the previous session, you're you're going to start with the confidence boost and then just work your way through the objects until you have a good, dependable, and consistent result on hold. You're not looking for perfection, but you're looking for consistency. And then once you have that down, it's starting to move on to the hold and carry. So just for clarity, you said that's the first session. So like the first time you take the dog out there, assuming you've gotten him used to the table... It really is step yeah. one. Your next step is two fingers and working up to a fist in the same session. If the if the dog does fine with okay. it, I go at the pace of the dog. So again, it, yeah, one dog's first session could be literally two fingers the entire time. Yeah, I spent, and then I've seen other dogs to where you can literally go through half your objects in the first session within a matter of ten minutes. It I depends spent on the dog. Three or four days doing two fingers in the mouth and not that he was like struggling with it you know after two sessions he he knew what was up but i just did it enough that right that he knew what to do and i got like you're saying not perfection but consistency and then i moved on to the bumper like on day five or something and so you just keep going off of that every session again start with your confidence rep and then move on to the next one and keep trying to build off of the previous session before and you're looking for that consistent result and then the next step is the hold and carry and you're still on the table but you're going to do the exact same thing with that you're doing on hold just being stationary you're going to put it in their mouth and then you're just going to kind of walk them down the table whether it's you have to go to the end of the table and call them i like walking kind of by their side and just kind of just here, you know, just bring them along with you. You can get your dog to walk. And you're going to be shocked at something as simple as holding an object in their mouth. Even though you've seen them do it a million times, yep. every time you take the next step, there's going to be kind of a, a brain fart. And it's just that added, oh, I'm doing this. Now I have to move my feet. And they're going to want to spit it out. Their body language will communicate to you, I am not capable of walking two steps with this six ounce bumper in my mouth. There's no way I can do this. So each of these steps is very gradual. And like Nick said, you start out when you're going to move on to the bumper, right? The, the lightweight dumbbell style bumper, 
you don't start out that session with that. You start out with your two fingers again. And if, if you're doing like you, you work up to a fist and then the bumper, but I go out and do the two fingers and I've already got in my mind, okay, this session we're moving to the bumper. Maybe the session before I have the bumper where the dog can see it and I do the two fingers and then the next session I do the fingers first for a couple reps, let them get good. Then the bumper, you know, and then, and I'm not going all the way back to step from step one for my confidence rep. So like, right. Not each time you'd be surprised though. There's been a few people that I've helped with that think that they have to go through every single item again. And then, Real quick, they're like, man, you know, by the time I get to that object, they just don't want to do it. I'm like, well, yeah, how long were you on the doing table? it for 15 minutes? Yeah. And they're like, well, I mean, it takes like 20 minutes to get through all, the, all <laughs> right. the objects. I'm like, you don't have to go through every object, right. every session. So, yeah. So when you no, start- I just try to blend in the next step with the right. last step, you're yeah. just fading it in. And so when you're on the carry deal, you're, you're, you're getting them to move down the table. And I like being by their side. Again, there's no pressure. You're not grabbing them by the ear or anything like that. They're going to spit it out. They're going to want to drop it in the process of them dropping it. Not after not, you're not waiting for them to drop the object. Don't let three them drop seconds. it. Yeah. You're not waiting three seconds before you give the, ah, when you see them about to drop it ah, 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 and then you can kind of tap them under the chin, they'll lift it back up and you just hold, right? Come on. And you're just slowly building off of it. Don't expect them to walk. If you've got a 15 foot long table, right? The entire length of the table, just build off of it. Yeah. So again, it's really gradual. And I remember having, you know, about an 18 inch lead or or so we probably should have mentioned that, that a short lead can help with this. Sometimes if you're using the ramp style table, we talked about this in the overview, Nick uses the cable and the collar and I just use the ramp style uh, table. So like an 18 inch lead helps with the hold and carry portion where you're leading the dog and your hand is literally like under their mouth at first, like, like a child carrying a glass for the first time. You're like, dude, don't (laughs) drop this. And you're kind of there for when you see him about to spit it out. Like you don't even let him drop it. You just light tap underneath the chin up, 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 hold, hold. And there's going to be times where they do drop it. You just get it back into their mouth as soon as possible. And and then once it's back back in there, they're getting praised. Yep. And again, you're just building off of that. So, you know, it may be, you just take a couple steps and then you're taking it out. Then it's four steps, take it out. And then the length of the table, take it out. And so you're just building off of it again. And then once you have consistent results on the table with the hold and carry, the next step that I do is hold and carry off the table. And again, you're introducing something new. It's to us. It's just like, why, is there a hiccup on this? Because all we did was move to the ground, but to them, it's a completely different scenario. All the expectations that and associations they learned was on the table. Now they're on the ground. So again, you're doing the exact same process every session that you did on the table, but on the ground now and heel works really well. If you have a good heel with your dog, you're not really working on healing. Obviously you're working on fetching, but just because, just because you have the dog at heel, it's a very easy correction. As soon as you start seeing them about to drop it, you just reach down there, up, 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 hold. And then you're doing that. Get get consistent. You can go for a lot of links. Just do laps around the yard. Do, do whatever. Changing out the objects and get that good and consistent and get a good quality hold in them. And once, you're, once you have that result, you're pretty much done with hold. 
Yeah. For me, once I've got them moving on the table with the lightweight dumbbell bumper, um, pretty quickly you can transition that to the ground. And then I start introducing all the different objects very slowly and progressively. You don't want to go from a light bumper to a five pound dumbbell or something, but go back to the table, blend it in. So do the easy bumper that they're used to, and then grab your next object, maybe something easy like a paint roller or a regular uh, canvas bumper or something right. like that. So that's that's hold in a nutshell. You, you're done training hold. The expectation for the rest of this is they now know hold. So you're kind of your expectation is that, and this is when you're back on the table and you're going to fetch. And this is when yep. the pressure comes into play. Again, it's like every other session. You're going to get up there and you're going to start with a confidence booster. So you're going to start with something that's familiar to them. Start with a, a rep or two of hold. And then this is just stationary right in front of you. You're, you don't have them. You don't have a bumper way down at the end of the table. It's right there in front of them to where what whatever you chose for your pressure, your ear pinch, your toe hitch, the e-collar, whatever, this is when you're going to start doing that. And so you're going to apply pressure and you're going to get the results from them. And as their mouth is open, you're saying fetch, 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 and putting the object in their mouth. And as soon as the object is in their mouth, you let go of the pressure there. I mean, it has to be perfect timing. You don't want it too soon and you don't want it too late. Cause if you let go of the pressure too soon and the pressure's off before the object gets in their mouth, they're not associating the correct thing, which is the pressure shuts off as soon as it gets in my mouth. Yeah. I can turn this off by getting the bumper in my mouth. Is That's what, what you're going learn. for. And then if you do it too long, if you put it in their mouth and you still have, if you have a brain fart and you have pressure too long, they're not associating that again, the pressure shuts off when it gets in my mouth and they can potentially start resenting you know, this entire program. So it's as soon as the item is in the mouth, you let go of the pressure. And then you're expecting from then on, right after that, you're expecting them to hold it until you give the release command. And so you're not, you're not fetch, 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 pressure off. It's in the mouth and immediately give, wait, wait a second. Don't wait 10 seconds, 15 seconds, especially while introducing this. But again, you're, you're establishing this pattern, so you put it in their mouth, pressure's off, and then give or out whatever your command is. Yeah, I think before I was successful at force fetching one dog, I associated force fetch to ear pinching. And we've talked about it in previous episodes, but if you do the hold and carry correctly, you really shouldn't have to be pinching their ear for that long. So the stuff that we just kind of glossed over with doing hold and carry as far as like the steps that I take, you know, the longer you spend and the more difficult objects you have the dog hold and carry, the easier the ear pinch is going to be because they're going to understand what, what you're wanting when you pinch their ear. So all the stuff that we talked about before, you really need to invest a lot of time and effort there so that when you start pinching the dog's ear and driving them towards the bumper, and at first it's from a couple inches away, you're holding the bumper, you pinch the ear, and and 
you put the dog's head on it and you don't give them much of an option. They've got to grab it. And then the pressure goes off. You'll fly through these steps quicker, I think, because you spent more time on hold and carry. Right. And so you don't want to get into what Pete called it. I think he referenced Mark Whalen on this, the ear pinch purgatory to where you're yep. just relying on the ear pinch. So when you're up there and you've introduced fetch, like Adam was saying, if you have a good, strong foundation on hold, the the ear pinch shouldn't take long, that long for the dog to start figuring out the game. So, I mean, some dogs, it's literally you're only doing it for a couple sessions and they know I got to get that in my mouth quick. And so then when you're doing it stationary, you're going to see the change in your dog. You're going to know when it's time for them to start slowly reaching for it as opposed to you putting it in their mouth. And so at first you're pinching it and you're putting it in their mouth and immediately shutting off pressure. Then as you see the dogs figuring it out, instead of just wailing or trying to get at your hand because you're, you're applying pressure, they're going to start being receptive of that object. And I start doing what I call 90 tens. You kind of go 90% and they're expected to kind of go 10%. And I'm not dragging them towards the bumper, but they start figuring out real quick, their action shut off the pressure. And so I do those 90 tens. That's what I introduce. And then when they start getting those 90 tens down, that's really when you start doing the next step is what I call reaching fetch. And so you have a good, consistent result from those 90 tens, and you're moving on to reaching fetch. And that doesn't mean hold the bumper out four feet. Again, build off of it. Now, instead of, yeah. you know, just hold it six inches, 10 inches away from them, you know, say fetch, and they should reach for it. If they don't, that's when the pressure goes right on, and they should reach for it. And then you're just going to build off of that, you know. It, this isn't all in one session, but we we only have so much time on this podcast. Yeah, and when you say <laughs> they should reach for it, like I'm going for the ear pinch either way. But when I grab the dog's collar, it's probably already going figured out. Like I've got to get that bumper, and yeah. it's kind of like, well, hold on, let me get situated so I can pinch your ear. All right, now you can go for yeah. it. Now that I'm pinching your ear, and some people think, well, like if the dog's going for it anyways, why would you pinch its ear? It's negative reinforcement training. You're being basically, here's the consequence until you do what I'm yeah. asking you to do. So you don't get to do it on your terms. You get to do it yeah. when I tell you, and then the pressure goes away and see, once I've, you've got I, it. I think this might be one of the slight differences we were talking about okay. is because when I get to the reaching fetch, if I've done done the f introduction to fetch with the ear pinch correctly and what I call the 90 tens and everything. When I get to the reaching fetch, I have my hand on the ear ready to apply pressure, but I give them a, I mean, a split second. When I say fetch, if they're not immediately going for it, the pressure's on. And so I'm starting to take away that automatic ear pressure and they figure out real quick. If I just, if I do it, then I don't get the pressure at all. So this uh, is where I started overlaying the e-collar and I would actually hold the dog back if it was like really fighting. You were introducing the, the e-collar this early? Yep. Overlaying the e-collar this early, okay. holding the dog back. Once it's, once it's, you know, reaching for the bumper, six inches, then 10 inches, then, then down on the table, but right in front of it. And that's where the dumbbell... Yeah. becomes important because it's elevated off the table and then a little further, a little further all over multiple sessions. 
then you're holding the dog back, pinching its ear and making it really want to get down there so that it like no doubt about it understands what's turning off the pressure. Yeah. So it is, it's different. Once it understands that, then I'm overlaying the e-collar and then the ear pinch goes away. Yeah. So I'm still, I'm not doing the e-collar yet. And so, like I said, I'm doing the reach. I start six inches, 10 inches or whatever, right in front of them. And you're getting that result. And then you don't just do it right in front of them. Hold it high, high up again, start six inches, 10 inches, go above their head, go down low, go side to side, left to right. You want a good quality, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that dog has connected the fetch command with I'm reaching for it and I'm getting that in my mouth. And our th- even though we do things a little bit different and you just kind of looked over at me like, you're introducing the e-collar already? <laughs> like our theories are the same. Yeah, it's the same concept. It's yeah. just, but you're going to get a feel for your dog. And this is what we're talking about is you're going to get to know your dog and each dog is different. Some dogs may need that pressure all the way through it, whatever. But so that's the reaching fetch. Again, this is all with their feet stationary, the reaching fetch. And then what you're getting into my next step is fetch from laying on the table. And I'm talking about, this is right in front of them at their feet. Like you said, the dumbbell comes in play, uh, a dowel with something on the side. Um, if you don't have that, you just have some flat objects, a bumper or whatever. Uh, you've, you've transitioned from the reaching in the air down to the table, get up there when first session that you're introducing this, start with a couple confidence boosters, just regular fetch, do one in front, low, high, whatever, then put it on the table. Some dogs go right for it. Other dogs, just because it's laying on the table, they kind of balk at it. And that's where a kickstand Bumper is kind of what I call it, just to slightly get it off the table and then get a better grip on it. Comes in handy, and they can just snag it. I've actually just used a bumper to where I'm just holding the bumper on the table, and you just slightly just lift up one angle, and they can grab it. And then you're just doing this over and over again to where whatever bumper it is or whatever object it is, they're reaching for it and picking it up off the table and just lifting it all the way up. You're there. Yeah. It's not done if they just reach down and put their mouth on it. You're going to see that a lot out of some dogs. And sometimes you have to apply the pressure to get them to pick it all the way up. But that's a, that's a pretty common hurdle on this step is they'll just reach down there, put it on, you know, put their mouth on it be like, well, I mean, it's in my mouth. I think that's a sign of, again, you probably did not you, but generally speaking the person probably didn't spend enough time on hold and carry yeah and really overlay that with the fetch command because the dog doesn't understand what you're asking of it if it just goes and puts its mouth on the bumper and goes okay turn the pressure off yeah like it missed out you missed yeah you you breeze through a step too quick so we as we're doing this episode i'm like man there's going to be people that listen to this that are just like yeah cool i'll listen to this go for it you know uh that are just relaxed and want something to listen to but there's a group of people out there that are like all right i'm gonna force fetch my dog (laughs) at this point because our methods are different they're probably like oh my gosh might have to listen to it twice and take notes well this this is what i say the the why is more important than the how on this because we have the same why in this we have the same understanding of the step but we have just a little bit of nuance on 
when me and you take off the pre- start taking right. out the pressure. And that's really the only difference. So that's far it. as I started transitioning away from the ear pinch on the reach a little bit, it was still there, but I wasn't immediately going to it. You were still using it at that point. That's really the only difference so far. Right. And at this point, you know, when you're like, man, you're overlaying the e-collar already. Well, our steps are different. I'm on like step eight and you're talking like I'm, I'm transitioning from the dog reaching a couple inches all the way to the end of the table to where part of that transition is I'm like pointing at the bumper and then my hand, I'm transitioning my hand away from the bumper too. So well, there's that's a, that's coming up, right? Yeah, okay, that's next. for you. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. So there's. I just want to let you know that at this point, I'm probably five weeks into this. Okay. Of because I spent yeah quite a bit of time on hold and carry, yeah. but it was a good investment because I didn't have a lot of trouble with the other stuff. Right. So with my, back, I mean, back to where I'm at. So we're yeah. doing we're doing the fetch on the table, and like I said you get it to where they're doing it right at their feet and then you start doing it a foot away, two feet away, three feet away. You're making your way down the table uh, to where they're picking it up. And this is why I started taking the pressure away a little bit because I'm not dragging my dog down the table by the ear. So I start transitioning away a little bit. I'm always there ready to apply pressure if need be. Because especially when you start getting to where it's two, three feet away, you'll have some dogs, they may take a step or two towards it and then kind of freeze up and they don't want to go. Pressure's going on immediately. As soon as they balk at it, it's ear pinch time. And I'm not dragging them, but they know exactly what it is. I mean, at this point, you're going to see it. As soon as you grab the ear, then they're going to finish the the task. They're going to go right to it and grab it. And so you're working your way down the table one step at a time to eventually you're doing it the entire length of the table and you're just ready with the pressure at any time. And so that's just one object at a time. I don't have a pile at this point. I don't, I'm not doing a ladder cause I'm not sending them. I'm right there by their side, ready to apply pressure. And I hope that made sense, but I think that makes sense to me. So before you go to a pile, well, I'm guessing your next step is you're going to transition this to the ground. Yes. All right. That's exactly it. And so when I have them picking it up off the table consistently, going two, four feet, whatever, I move to the ground. And there's a couple different ways you can do this. I like salt in the area with a bunch of different, all the training objects you've been doing. I like salt and pepper in the ground, or you can just carry a couple behind you. And again, I'm at, I'm back at heel with the dog and uh, you can be walking and drop the object behind you while you're walking if you haven't salted the area with the objects already. And then you just circle back around. And as you get close to them, you're not sending them yet. As you get close to them with the dog right by your side, ready to apply pressure if you need to, you tell them fetch. And it's the same exact expectation on the table. You're just on the ground now. And so you're just walking around. And if you salt the area with all the objects and everything, by the time you go through that, you know, you can maybe make it through it twice. And that's a session. I mean, it's a, you're doing it short and sweet. If you start getting these consistent results every time. And so, yeah, I'm calling this the walking fetch. You're walking at heel and you're going to get to an object fetch. And then they're at it. And then they're holding it and you can start extending the time with this hold and carry heal it milk it whatever and do your release and and that's that's really the next step is 
the walking fetch on the ground. Yeah. So I just, with each of my steps that I do that involves pressure and reaching for the bumper, I'm going back to, when I start that step, I'm going back to this lightweight dumbbell bumper. And then I'm, I'm working through all the different objects, the same ones that I use for hold and carry. So at this point, when I transition to the ground, I'm using that dumbbell bumper and it's right in front of the dog, then a few feet, then six feet, then 10 feet. And then I get all the other objects and it goes each object right in front of the dog, a few feet, six feet, 10 feet, next object. And you do that over the course of days until you can put out a few objects at a a time, which a a lot of people call force to pile. And you put a pile of bumpers down there. I make sure I don't put them too close together, you know, spread them out over yeah. a couple feet. So when you and get then send them, so when those. you get on the ground, you start kind of piling on a, a couple of my different steps, uh, all at one time then on yours. Well, that's kind of what I thought about yours is you're like salt and pepper. I just pictured bumpers all over and I'm like, yeah, like all over the yard, but okay. I'm, wa- I'm walking it here. Uh, okay. And, and then hitting one, the, picking up one, walking fetch, and go to I the next you. one, hitting another one. And then when you have the consistent, every object is getting picked up consistently Yep. and you have the consistent results, I'm going back to the table and this is where I start doing the sending down the table. Okay. And so I'll get there. And at this point, you really should not be applying a whole lot of pressure at this point. You should not have be having to hit your ear pinch a lot. Occasionally, you know, you will. It's still training, so there's going to be hiccups. But I'll get back on the table. And this time, I'm not walking alongside the dog. I'm starting to send it. And I start closer again, two feet, four feet, six feet, because you're literally building it up. And the dog's going to notice real quick you're not by their side for the first time in this whole program so far so then i start doing i point at the object fetch and they'll go and if they balk at it then i'll go get them and put the pressure on it but i'm starting to get them to associate that the expectation stays the same whether i'm by their side or not and so i just build off of it two feet four feet six feet eight feet but you haven't overlaid the e-collar yet no i have not so how do you enforce that Hmm? how do you enforce that if you're from a distance well, because Just get to the dog the, you're and on it. the yeah, you're on the table, and so okay. you, it's you're marking it. So if they balk at it, ah, ah, and then you go grab them by the ear and you make them do it. Okay, so this is where this makes sense to me now. This is where your cable, yes, cable style table comes in it, handy. It comes in handy for you, and this is why I've overlaid the e collar already, so that when I'm sending the dog to a yeah. distance, I I can correct the e collar. Okay. You can get to them because yeah. they're cabled. That makes sense. And so I'm sending them down the table. And then once they're doing good on one target, I start doing a ladder to where I start putting four or five objects down the table and one at a time, get it, bring it back to me, get it, bring it back to me, get it, bring it back to me. And then I do a pile at the end of the table. And I mean, I literally pile them up. I don't try and scatter them out because what the pile to me is doing is the dog is starting to learn. I'm to grab an object. I'm not grocery shopping. If they pick up one object, start laying it down, grab another one, pick it, drop it. You, you're discouraging the grocery shopping right now. Yeah. And it helps. I read somewhere something that spreading those objects out over a few feet helps with the shopping thing. Yeah. If they're all like piled on top of each other, 
it encourages a dog to pick one up and go, nah, I like this and sure. grab this other one. <laughs> sure. But that's what I'm trying to train out of them. So it's, yeah, I can make it easier for them, but yep. it's kind of train hard, test easy type of mentality with this. Yeah. Is, to it, me, you got to start where you can, you know, make it easy and spread them out and then work towards yeah. harder and harder. So, so the next step is the, the pile on the table. And when you're getting a consistent result on that, that is when I move down to the ground and you're doing the exact same steps on the ground. You start sending them from a distance on the ground. Gotcha. All right. And then you, once you get a consist, consistent result with one object, I do the ladder. That's the next step. Then I do the pile on the ground. That's the next step. And so once you have the consistent result on the ground with all those, that is then when I overlay lay the e-collar. Okay. And because you have the entire program essentially downloaded in their head, they associate everything with just you being the pressure. But obviously my deal is I can get to them and apply pressure on ground. Now I'm kind of looking here soon to get in water and everything. I'm not going swimming after them to apply pressure. Right. But I like yeah. having that good, strong foundation to where it's not e-collar reliant. And so that's really my only reason for holding off so long on this. And like you have a different preference. Everybody has a different preference. But now I've gone through the entire program without even having to put an e-collar on them. I go all the way back to the very beginning, which people are like, oh, my God, all the way back. The dog already knows it, so it's yeah. going to go super fast. And then you're literally doing the exact same steps but with the e-collar and you start with the same pressure. So you didn't use the e-collar for a couple of weeks, but now you're going to go back and use it again. Yeah. Essentially you're going to use it for the same amount of time I did. No, not in my opinion because, yeah. because I mean, arguably, yeah, I, I can see that point, <laughs> yeah. but, but the way I look at it is the dog is concentrating on one form of pressure instead of learning two different pressures at one time. And so when you go back and then you apply the ear pressure and you hit the collar and it's so the reaction is so ingrained in them right now, it takes two seconds to overlay the e-collar in each step. And so, it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it really does fly through it and you're honestly trying to make it difficult so you can get the correction on the table again with the e-collar. But the first few times as you're applying your ear pressure and hitting the collar, but you're not having to hold the object in front of them, like uh, up in front of their face or anything. It's already on the table because they already know the expectation and it's just easier to transition. So you don't have to go back and hit every single step. Yeah, you're, you're not going back to hold, but go back to fetch on a table. I got you. At their feet and then just build off of that. And it flies. I mean, it, it really only takes a, a few days usually for this. I don't. I hate putting timestamps on this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I but, do too. And I think what... The, the method I used with my dog, what made it fly and not have to put a lot of pressure on him is when you do go to the ear pinch, you're, it sounds crazy, but you're holding the dog back, the bumper's there, and you're, you know, you're holding the bumper and you're pinching their ear and like until they are like really pulling for it, then you let them go get it. And they learn so well what turns the pressure off that once you overlay the e-collar, you really don't have to do much pressure yeah. anymore. So if I've painted the picture that with every single retrieve after this, I'm like holding it, down the e-collar. No, I mean, yeah. at, at first when I 
overlaid the e-collar and then transitioned to e-collar alone, I would give the command and give like a little nick as it as he's going just to to and let see. him know like I'm not messing around. Yeah. But then within man a day or two, I didn't need to do anything. I yeah. was just giving the command to fetch and he was right. going. But then I had the ability to to give him a correction from a distance. So that's yeah. where neither one of our programs is like better than the other. They're just different. Yeah. But the steps are ultimately the same. Right. It really the only difference me and you've had so far is the type of pressure and when to start kind of steering away from the pressure. But yeah, the, so that's my next step in my program is I'm going back and I'm overlaying the e-collar. And so that makes sense. And I'm doing that so that we can then move on to once you have a good solid, you know, you've been doing the ladders and piles with the e-collar back on the ground. It's my next step is then doing a fetch retrieve in the water. Good. Cause I'm at the water too, buddy. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's again, the a same exact process on ground. You're moving it to the water. Start, start short, you know, few feet, push it back, push it back, push it back. Yeah. Uh, when you first move to the water, do a confidence boost on ground. Yeah, at, I at, did too. At, yeah. Next to the water, Next do a retrieve water. right yep. there. And then with my with my lightweight dumbbell bumper <laughs> yeah. into the water, and I'm not worried about steadiness. I no. see a lot of people yeah. that are like, whoa. You're not working on whoa. You're not <laughs> yeah. working on sit. You're not Throw working it, on that. Tell them fetch and let them go. Yeah. <laughs> And so you you do that with one object and then I'll do the ladder and then I'll do the pile. And obviously you're dealing with water, current, maybe you suck at throwing bumpers. Doesn't have to be exact distance apart. Doesn't have to be exact pile. Just get it close. Do your best. It's not that big of a deal. The, the goal is multiple objects and you're hitting everything that you want to hit. Yeah. And at this point I'm on, let's say like step 12 or something like that, but all that you could there's sub steps. So just because I'm at the water doesn't mean I'm chucking it out there 20 yards. Yeah. I'm doing a couple feet into the water and then doing like three of those retrieves, man. And once he's got that, the next day I'm starting with a couple feet yeah. and then it goes to six feet and yep. he's got a couple of those and we're done. Yep. And then we go back for another session later and then it's Six feet and 10 feet and then 10 feet and 14 feet. And then before you know it, sure. Huck the thing out there as far as you want. Use a launcher on the other side, whatever. So at that point, I actually go to, I don't know if you've used birds at any point in your program yet. That's my last and final step. Okay. So I'm Uh, I'm there too, but I break it down into a few steps. So go ahead and then I'll cover mine. Well, my deal is I honestly, I don't go too scientific with doing the game birds, but a lot of people actually include birds with their training objects when they're doing hole when they're doing fetch i personally found that in my experience especially if you're working with a younger dog almost the bird drive can kind of get in the way of what you're trying to train i agree with that i don't like using birds on each step of the way while you're training and that's why i saved the last step is to go back through and start using birds and i'm talking about frozen birds i'm talking about freshly shot birds i'm talking about cripples and you're just setting up scenarios to where they figure out that the same expectations apply to the birds and obviously that means start back at the table use your frozen and fresh killed bird you don't have to go all the way back to hold with it some dogs might actually it'd be good for them because dogs act different if it's a 
a feathered thing instead of a bumper. Yeah. But then I just start going through. I'll use quill. I'll use chucker. I'll use pheasant. I'll use ducks and use what you got. And and try to get any game bird that you think you're going to hunt. Yeah. If you want them, if you're going to hunt pheasants, you might want to get a frozen pheasant. Right. Hard to find a frozen grouse. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, but chucker, similar size to grouse, doesn't, but, sure. you know, grouse a little bit bigger. But, yeah, you get the picture. It's just you're going through, and then you're setting it up. And, you know, the, the more variety of birds that you have with this. And then that way you're not teaching while, you know, necessarily applying the pressure. And potentially if you do it too hard or too rough, you hurt their drive for the bird. You know, that's a lot of people's concern with the pressure and using birds and bumpers. They're kind of like, well, I mean – They've heard of other people's dogs shying away from birds and bumpers because of this training. Well, that means that you're probably using too much pressure or too long a pressure. But my deal, the reason why I wait till this long again is because I've seen a lot of dogs, You your training session is over as soon as they go bird drunk. And right. You you don't get good quality reps from then on. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm putting that little cherry on top at the end and going through as many game birds as I can. Do it in the water. Do it. Start on the table. Do it on land. Do it in water. Yeah. So my next couple of steps are frozen birds and then a taped live bird. So with a frozen bird, I actually went back and did hold and carry with it with each different frozen bird that I had just so I could be right there next to him. And if he started getting like mouthy on it, I could be there to correct him. Yeah. And then I did, I didn't go back through like all the steps, but I did some hold and carry and then it was just, you know, Down a few feet away, fetch, not even on the table, okay. just on the ground at yeah. that point. And then with the taped live bird, literally took a pigeon, taped it up so that you're not dealing with a bird flying away and like kind of right. inducing prey drive. Um, but yeah, put it out and do it. I, d- I actually did hold and carry with it just like two times not even two sessions so, but like so two holding carries and then put the bird out there and i know what you're it. talking about yeah. when you say tape bird there's somebody out there asking oh what yeah. am i taping great explain point. your so tape bird. i actually yeah <laughs> you're gonna tape its feet together no i'm kidding <laughs> uh so painter's tape works really well or masking tape so that you don't you know hurt the bird too much as you're untaping it uh because even though we use birds and kill birds for training. We don't need to cruel about it. Yeah. We don't need to mistreat them in the process. So, um, painters tape works well and you just hold the birds wings down. So it's, you know, it's wings are naturally closed and you run a couple pieces, a couple strands of tape around its entire body and its wings so that it can't flap so that the dog is not like, Ooh, flapping. I'm going to kill you. I, with this step and I'm getting like, all pretty much to the end with the force fetch for me too. See, I'm I'm done with my. Is program. I want him to learn how to pick up a bird and not kill it. Like yeah. I want it live, at least for this force fetch thing, right? Yeah. So that's why I'm like tape live bird. We're doing some hold and carry. See how to hold that. <laughs> all right. See how to hold it again. Good. Now from a couple feet, you get to fetch it, and then. The next step is with a freshly killed bird. So well, in my real, mind, real quick, yeah, just another tip on the tape bird. Say you only have a couple live birds, you want to make sure that you don't harm it too much. Hopefully, your dog doesn't kill it, but right. you, you just want to get more use out of it, and you're concerned about feathers getting plucked every time you rip the tape off. Do the first pass through 
inside out on the tape to where the sticky side's out. And, yeah. th- and then run another line over the top of it to where the sticky side's down. Because you don't want your dog's mouth all, all with that glue and stuff like right. that. But that way, when you take the f- tape off, it just it comes doesn't right tear off. Them apart. It, it doesn't yeah, that's a good apart. idea. So the next step for me is a freshly killed bird. Um, so whether you're at a training day with people and they have some some birds, or if you need to get creative and dispatch the bird in a humane way so that your dog can retrieve a freshly killed bird, um, whatever you need to do there. But that's the next step. So a little hold and carry with a freshly killed bird. And then I send them for a retrieve. And then the next step I do a shot bird for him. And Nick helped me on this step. And he's kind of like, you want to do what? Like you don't at least want him to point the bird. I'm like, Nope, not worried about pointing. <laughs> Literally this. I'm going to hold the dog by the collar Someone's going to throw this pigeon. Somebody else is going to shoot it. And then I'm going to let my dog go retrieve it. Um, So it's, it's again, like when I was kind of off, uh, like out of sequence with your steps. Now I'm like, you're out of sequence with my steps or however you want to say it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm already done. Right. You're done. And I'm like throwing birds up and shooting them for no reason. Um, It's just steps to make sure the end goal is still the same. The yeah. why is still the same, but you can literally break this down. And while while I don't break down like your birds as much in right. steps like you did, some dogs may need it. Some dogs may need more steps and baby steps than what, what we've already described. And I know a lot of people are going to get through this and be like, what the crap? Like they blew through that. Or maybe we spent <laughs> too much time on one section it's hard to fit all of this and the nuance into it in one hour. And and so we're trying, hopefully we kind of described each step at at least enough for you to kind of understand it. If not fully understand it, the same. Yeah. And it's just, we had a little bit of nuance to it. I've got two steps left. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No wonder you took so long. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's quick though. I do a taped duck at the water, and at this point, I transition to force fetch. So this is where the the go before woe thing, or the yeah, the go before woe thing that we've talked about before. The end of the force fetch is a taped duck in the water. Uh, it's a sighted retrieve. So you're literally leading your force fetch program into the duck search program. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. That so makes that's sense. that's my those are my last steps. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now that that kind of makes sense. So it's just like while I'm wrapped up, you're still building into your next deal. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's it's a sighted retrieve at first, just like so the dog. I think this was another training session that I went out and you guys were working on duck search. I'm like, yeah, man, I just want to throw a duck out here and let my dog retrieve. <laughs> and you're like, you drove 45 minutes to do that. Like, yeah, man, that's it. Yep. So. But then the next time, you know, you go to the same spot and you, the dog doesn't see the duck, but it like, it registers, oh man, last time I was here, there was a duck. Yeah. And it's still the command. It still means go get something. That's right. That's right. And so again, plenty of nuance. Everybody has a, a preferred different method. When you fly through this, you may have the perfect plan in, in head. You may get your program from somebody else while you're going through this, you're going to adjust fire on this. You're going to come up with your own little special way of thinking about this and doing this. But the beautiful thing about this is every step you're learning your mannerisms about your dog, how they react to pressure. You really pick up on 
what shuts them off and what gets them ticking a lot better. And what I really found with this is it really, after the first time that you do this and you see how well understanding the end goal and backing up and breaking down each individual section, you then apply that to every single training thing down the road and you can literally come up with your own program from then on out because it's i want to train steadiness what is steadiness the dog stays there till i release him okay let's think about this what are the steps right you're literally training yourself with foresight when you see how this works you then apply that to everything else that you're going to teach that dog through the rest of your life and just like our steps are a little different for force fetch our steps for steadiness are different too but i don't mind you know calling each other out as we go through this because both of our dogs will retrieve anything yeah so it's like your method works my method works they're just two different methods. So there's nothing wrong with different methods. No, we're different people. They're different dogs. They're different yep. methods. But at the end of the day, almost every step and the goal for every step is similar. You just had probably four or five more steps. But you also had a different end goal in mind because you're leading straight into duck search where I then went to the field. Right. So, again, it's just hopefully all this made sense. We didn't go too fast or go too slow or the experienced guys out there are like, these guys are morons. But this is what worked for us, and we're helping a bunch of people out doing their programs right now. It's working for them. And, again, when they start calling, hey, I'm stuck on this step, I'm like, well, what are you trying to communicate to them? Right. Okay. Maybe it's the way you're asking the question and how they're answering it. Figure out a different way to ask the question. That may be breaking it down smaller chunks and ask it in a different way. But, yeah, so we can go on for forever about the importance of this. Hopefully, everybody kind of got something good out of this. We, we blew through it. And unless you have something else, I think I'm good. And I'll talk to you guys next week. I'm good, man. Thanks. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. 
I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.